Good morning, church. My name's Landon, and I am so glad to be with you here today. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and uh, today's going to be a great day. I know it is spring break. It is time change Sunday. It is snow in March, and it is the Vols play at one. So I need you to look at your neighbor and say, you're a super Christian today. All right. So you guys made it here. I'm glad that you are with us today. As always, I am thankful to be sharing and I'm thankful for Pastor Trent. Today is his birthday. So uh, yeah, be sure and tell Pastor Trent happy birthday. You know, he uh, loves just big bear hugs, I think is what I've heard. No, I'm just kidding. He does not. Um, and, and so, uh, but man, I'm so grateful for him and all he's meant to, to me in my life. And so be sure and honor your pastor today. All right. This is a great opportunity for us to do that because uh, he, he puts in so much sacrifice for us to be able to experience what we do here at this church. And so uh, happy birthday, PT is what we call him on staff. So, uh, but Today's gonna be a great day. We're continuing our series called Dangerous Dreams. We're studying the life of Joseph. And, and so here's what I kind of go back to in my life. Uh, when we, me and my wife, we have two littles now. We got one on the way and we got married. Uh, well, I, I proposed to her when she was 19 years old and I was 20 years old. And looking back on that, I'm like, who let us get married, right? Uh, like what, sorry, I, I don't know who allowed it, but it was the best decision that we've ever made. And so, you know, looking back on our life as before we had kids, you know, it's kind of like BC and AD, right? Like there's BC before kids, before children maybe. Uh, and, and so, but you, you, you look back and, and you're like, wow, we, that was so easy. You know, we say like, oh, we're so busy we're busy. <laughs> we're like, hey, you want to like go watch a movie like at the movie theater and not to pay for a babysitter? You want to go to Target just to go to the store, not for a date night, like just to actually go pick up something? Uh, you, you want to, uh, you know, we would go to the festivals and we'd go to the farmer's market and we'd hike. And we'd do all the amazing, amazing things you could do before you had two little rugrats complaining all day. Um, and so it, it was great. We, we loved it. And so as we were, you know, we, we'd been married a few years. And so Leanna was like, hey, I think it's time for us to start having kids. And me immediately was pretty hesitant about it. Now I wasn't hesitant about the whole practice element of the things, but, but definitely the game, I mean, we're talking about practice here, right? I mean, the game, I, I'm about ready to give my life for the whole game time. We have kids in our life right now. Um, so we, you know, after uh, some intense fellowship and discussion and uh, fights is what they call them, I think, uh, we finally got to the place. We're like, all right, we're ready. Now, Here's the deal. I don't know if you're like me. I was super hesitant to have kids, but the moment we found out we were pregnant, it was like a switch flipped. And it was like, all right, I'm in dad mode now, okay? It's time to learn some dad jokes. It's time to buy some dad socks, some tube socks here. Got them on today, all right? It's time to, uh, it's time to go start shopping at the thrift stores and looking like my dad and all the other things. You know, It was time for dad life. And so we get into dad life and everything's great and I'm, I'm excited about what, what's happening and, and uh, as we continue on, we get a I get a text from Leanna and basically the text was her saying, hey, something's not right with the pregnancy. Something's not right and she knew her body and, and so we decided it was time to go to the doctor and the doctor did confirm that our baby was not going to be born. And so if you've ever walked through miscarriage, if you've ever walked through a season like that, you know that it doesn't matter if it's eight weeks or, or, or 38 weeks. It's so incredibly, incredibly difficult. And so, you know, when we first got, when I first found out the news that we were having a kid, 
you know, you begin to have all these different dreams, right? You're like, what if it's a boy? It's like, oh, I would love to, you know, I, I would love to be a boy dad. And like, he's going to watch Jurassic Park at age two and learn who Indiana Jones is. Like, this is going to be amazing. And, and then you're like, okay, what if it's a girl? Like, what am I going to do with this? Like a, a girl? Like what? I got two girls now. Um, and, and, and you have all these different dreams. And, and, and here's what I know. All it took was one text message for many of those dreams to just come crashing down in a moment. And as an adult, you know this, right? All it takes is one text message, one email, one notification, one news back from the doctor and you read your phone and nothing in your life is ever the same. I mean, I want you to imagine that you pull out your phone and, and you get a text message from a loved one and you get a text message from an officer, or you get a text message from the, an email from the hospital and your results come back and your life is never the same. Now, I don't say that this morning. I don't say that this morning to bum you out or, or, or to, to bring you anxiety or, or to get you upset or, or really anything like that at all. I say that simply because we can build our plans and we can build our strategies and we can do all the things. We can have our portfolio all, all taken care of and we can do our due diligence and we can take our vitamins and we can, uh, we can work out and we can eat our green leafy vegetables like a rabbit eating spinach and kale all day. But guess what? All it takes is one text message from someone for your entire life, your entire future, all the dreams that you've ever had, all of them can come crashing down in one singular text message. And here's what I know. And I bet you, if you're older in the room, if you're a senior adult in the room, you've had some of these text message moments in your life where in one moment, everything changes. Because here's what I know. We've all had moments where our dream seems to die. We've all had moments where our dream seems to die. You plan your retirement dream and your spouse passes away. You move your family to Tennessee and you lose your job. You finally got pregnant and you get heartbreaking news. You, you begin to excel in your sport and you tear your ACL. And the question is not, will you have dreams that die? Because you will. The better question is this, what do we do when our dream seems to die? And questions like this are why we're in this series called Dangerous Dreams. It's why we're in this life of Joseph because he had a dream that seemed to die. So two weeks ago, we began a series called Dangerous Dreams. And Dangerous Dream is about a man in ancient Egypt whose name was Joseph. And God was, had this special anointing on Joseph where he was constantly giving him dreams and miraculous visions. And he was, he was doing something in his life, but every time he would follow that dream, every time he would follow God, it would lead him down a dangerous path. And so we're gonna pick up on the life of Joseph, but before we do, I wanna recap for those of you who haven't been with us the past two weeks, or if you're new to this whole guy named Joseph. Number one is this, is that Joseph had, give, had a special God-given dream. He had a dream that came to him that his brothers one day would bow down to him. He had all of these sorts of dreams, but not only did he have a dream, he also had a special God-given gift as well. So not only could he dream these miraculous dreams, but he could interpret the dreams as well. And what he would interpret, it would come to pass and be 
true. So he had this special gift. He had these special dreams and he had all these brothers and his brothers didn't like him for it, right? And his dad actually, Joseph's dad had, had loved, his, uh, loved him more than his brothers. So he's about 17 years old here and he gets this coat and his brothers hate him for it because his dad loved him more. Not a, good, not a good thing, but it was the thing. His, his dad loved him and so his brothers were jealous And what happened when he was 17 years old, I want you to think junior, senior in high school, his brothers, Joseph's brothers, put him in a pit and sold him. So I know you might be having a hard life as a 17-year-old or an 18-year-old, but let me just tell you, I bet few of us have been hated by our brothers so much that we were sold into slavery and left for dead, basically. And so the, the, the people come and they take him and they eventually sell him to be a man named Potiphar's servant. Now Potiphar, he lived in Egypt. He was an Egyptian and he had a lot of money. And so he needed a slave. He needed a servant to run his estate, to run his house. Well, if, if you remember last week, Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph because he was a good looking dude and wanted to hook up with him. But Joseph was a man of God, so Joseph ran from it. He fleed from it. That, of course, embarrassed the woman. The woman could not take advantage of Joseph. So what happened is that now Potiphar's wife comes back and says, hey, he, he, he tried to assault me. He tried to take advantage of me. Basically, she cries rape. And now we're here at this point in our story, at around 28 years old approximately, Joseph is wrongly accused and he's thrown into prison. So at 17 years old, he has a dream. Everything's going well for Joseph. His brothers hate him. He's thrown into a pit, left for dead. They get cold feet about killing his brother. So they sell him into slavery. And then all it takes now is he's all the way, he's starting, his dream's starting to come back true. He's back in power. He's in a nice place. Yes, he's a servant. Yes, he's a slave, but he's in a nice place and he has authority. And now he's wrongly accused, back at it again. His dream seems to die. And now he's been in prison or a pit for. 11 years, 11 years, 11 whole years, his dream seems to die. So as we think about this, my question is, because we've all had dreams that seem to die, what did Joseph do when his dream seemed to die? Well, I wanna read to you from Genesis 39. We're gonna jump through three different chapters today. And so we're gonna jump around. So I encourage you to get your Bible out, but we're gonna be up on the screen. It's gonna be all the verses we're gonna hit today. Uh, But Genesis 39 is where we'll start. And so Joseph has now been thrown into the prison. And here's what the author of Genesis says um, in verse 21. He said, but the Lord was with Joseph in that prison and showed him the steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So imagine this, he was given this dream of promise and now he's in the prison. But in the prison, what was Joseph's relationship to the Lord like? We see words like the Lord was with him, that the Lord showed steadfast love, that he had favor of the Lord even in the prison. And whatever he did, he succeeded at even in the prison. So when you think about what his relationship with the Lord was like in the prison, you see that it is pretty close. 
He's near to God. He's in relationship with God, even in the prison. So as his dream started to become a reality, went back down, seemed to die, what do we see? We see that his dream seems to die, but in the prison, the closeness to the Lord did not. The closeness to the Lord did not. And honestly, let's think about this for a moment. This is exactly the opposite of what you and I are so easy to do. I mean, think about this. Joseph was a Hebrew minority in the majority Egyptian culture. The system was built up against him. He was a slave. He, was, he had every reason. He was victimized. But even in the prison, he didn't run from God. He didn't blame God. He didn't, he didn't play the victim. Instead, he stays close to God. And what do you and I often do when life begins to turn on us? We begin to get angry. We begin to get mad. We begin to blame. But even in the prison, he was close with God. So let's go to the next part of our story. In verse one, he says this. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their Lord, the king of Egypt. So we got two new characters here. We got a baker and a cupbearer, okay? The baker was the guy, he baked all the goods for the, all of the Egyptian palace. And then the cupbearer, the cupbearer was essentially the guy who would go in, he would sample the food, he would sample the drink before the Pharaoh to make sure it wasn't poison. It sounds like a good way to get free drinks for this guy. I think that was his scheme, right? Uh, but he is the cupbearer. Bear. And, and so it says, and Pharaoh was angry with his two officers and the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. He's angry with them. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. So he throws them in jail, puts them in the prison. And guess who was there? It says in the prison where Joseph was confined, the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. And they continued for some time in custody there. Okay. So again, we got the baker, we got the cupbearer and now they are enslaved with them in the prison with Joseph. So think about this and we're, 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 let's, let's go through the story here and this is where I'm going to skip around for a moment because I'm going to share with you the cupbearer and the baker story. So as they're in prison with Joseph, the baker has a dream. Remember, the baker has a dream but Joseph has a gift. So the baker has his dream and Joseph interprets it. Then the cupbearer has a dream. The cupbearer has the dream. Joseph has a gift. Joseph interprets it. Now, Pharaoh hears about this. The cupbearer is restored. And as you read, you'll see, you can see more why, but I won't go into it. The baker essentially is put to death. So news of Joseph's gift and his abilities, his special God-given talent spreads throughout all of Egypt and two years pass by. So let's recap in our story here. From the pit all the way to the prison, Joseph now has been in the pit, prison, or enslaved by Potiphar for 13 whole years. All the while staying close to God, all the while serving God, all the while not giving up and settling in. And his faithfulness begins to go viral throughout the kingdom of Egypt and then walks in our next character, which is Pharaoh. And so it says this, after two whole years, 13 years now total, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. Now, Pharaoh, he has this crazy dream. 
And, and it's a pretty long part of the text, so I'm not gonna go into it verse by verse, but he has this dream about seven cows and seven ears of wheat, and he's, he's perplexed. He has no idea what, what the dream means, and he can't sleep at night, so he needs someone to interpret this dream for him. So he, it says here in, in verse eight that it says that he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and, and Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret it to Pharaoh. So remember, Joseph's fame begins to spread throughout all of Egypt. So he has this idea. Pharaoh says, all right, let's bring Joseph from the prison and let's see if he can interpret my dream. Now imagine, if he can't interpret this dream, guess what happens? Joseph dies. He's, his head's gonna be on a platter. So this is a risky moment. There's a lot on the line here. You can cut the tension with a knife in the room. And he hears Pharaoh's dreams and guess what? He actually doesn't have good news for Pharaoh, which again, risky business, right? You wanna kinda, you wanna kinda suck up to the boss, right? You wanna tell him what he wants to hear. You wanna be his yes man. But he comes in, he interprets this dream and this is a tongue twister, so stay with me here, all right? It says, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one dream. He had multiple dreams. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Who's about to do it? Let's say it. God, okay? Remember that. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good ears are seven years. This is tough to get through. And the dreams are one. It says the seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown the Pharaoh what, say it, he or God is about to do. Verse 29, there will come, so he interprets this. He said, there will come seven years of great plenty. The land's gonna prosper throughout all of the land of Egypt. But after them will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten and the famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by the reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by who? And God will shortly bring it about. So Joseph interprets this dream, and he says, in the land of Egypt, there's gonna be great harvest for seven years. And then there will be, Great famine for seven years. And who does he say will bring it about? Both locations, say it together. He doesn't say, well, God's gonna bring about the plenty and that pesky devil over there, he's gonna bring about the famine. He's saying, no, 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 no. God will bring the plenty and God will bring the famine. God will bring the good and God will bring the bad. God will bring the harvest and God will bring the hunger. There's no question in Joseph's mind that every good gift and every great pain must first pass through the hand of an all-powerful, all all-sovereign, all-knowing, all-everything God, all the while he rots in prison. What do you think Joseph was thinking? Well, we see he's confident that God's still in control. So here's what we see. His dreams seem to die but his confidence in the Lord did not. He is confident 
that God knew what he was doing. He is confident that his life wasn't just some random game of chance and he just happened to roll the dice wrong. He's confident that this prison and this pit was all a part of the plan. He's confident that God's in the control of the story of Egypt and he's in control of his story even in the prison. And you may say, well, Landon, what are you saying? Is you, are you saying that it's actually God's will that I suffer? Because Landon, I know you might've lived a nice life. You might've grown up in a Christian home and, and you had all this privilege and all this stuff. And, but, but, but Landon, you have no idea what I've walked through. You may say, Landon, you have no idea the pain that I had to go through in my teenage years. You may say, I've been in the prison for what seems like forever now. And you're saying that God is in that? Because I don't know. And I would say a resounding yes, that God will allow you to suffer. Not because he's mean, not because he's bad, not because he's sinful, but because he is gracious. Why would God do that? Because we cannot fulfill the dream of becoming like Jesus unless we are stronger, unless we are wiser, unless we are closer to him. And that pathway is always through suffering. He will allow us to suffer for a little while. But that suffering would be the thing that would bring about our very saving. Let me show you what I mean. I want you to lean in for a moment, okay? I want you to look at Joseph's life because here's what happens in Joseph's life. Let's go to the, the next verse. He says, now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man. Who do you think that's gonna be? Joseph. And set him over the land of Egypt and let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And it says, and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh for the cities and let them keep it. The food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are going to occur of the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish. So remember, where's his brothers live? The land. Where's his family at? The land. Who's gonna be the people? Where are the people going to struggle the most? It ain't gonna be in the palace of Egypt. It's gonna be in the land when the famine comes where they're not gonna have anything to eat. And so if Joseph hadn't gone to the pit, if he hadn't been in the prison, then he'd have never get to experience the blessing of saving his own family of saving his brothers. See, I love how Dr. John Piper says this. He says this, that the sinful selling of Joseph to slavery was the sending by God into saving work. It was the sinful selling of Joseph that was the sending of God, of Joseph, to saving work. And see, Joseph didn't know this fully, but Joseph had confidence in his God. And you may push back and you say, I don't know, Landon, how can good and bad pass through the hand of God and to me? Well, I'll say, well, if you deny that, then you deny the whole plan of Jesus. Think about this for a minute. Look, look at Jesus. Here's what the prophet Isaiah says about Jesus. He says that it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Whose will was it to crush Jesus? The Lord's. It was God's. 
It wasn't just the devil. The devil's like, oh, well, and, and Jesus is like, oh, what are we going to do? Put him in a grave, rise him again in three days. Whew. Glad we figured that one out in three days. It was God's will to crush him, and he has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and it is the will of the Lord shall prosper. It is our suffering that brings about the very saving work in the world. It was his crushing that would be my saving. See, that's the beauty of sovereignty that God governs sinful men to bring about great joy in our lives. God governed the brothers who put him in the pit. God governed the men who put him in prison. And I want you to know that God governs every pit or prison you find yourself in today. Because I know some of you right now, you're smack dab in the middle of those 13 years. You're in the pit right now. You're in the prison right now. Those 13 years of wondering, will my spouse ever meet Jesus? Those 13 years of praying, God, would you take away my depression or my cancer? Those 13 years of believing, God, that my prodigal will finally come home. Those 13 years of battling infertility and praying and not seeing God ever bring breakthrough. Those 13 years of hoping that you'll get past this anxiety and you're dreaming that one day all your dreams will come true. And I hope that they do. But can I challenge you to do something even if they don't? That's my bottom line today. You have to dream about bigger things. Because here's the deal. What propelled Joseph through the pit, through Potiphar's house and out of the prison wasn't some Mickey Mouse, all your dreams will come true, promise. It wasn't some, all your dreams will come true, you'll get to the palace. What propelled Joseph through the pit, the prison and through Potiphar's was a promise that God was still faithful, that God was still in control, that the Lord still had this. See, God was being faithful to Joseph even in the prison. He was always by his side, showing favor even in the pit. And you might feel like you're in the pit today, but God is still faithful to you. And we have to dream bigger dreams because the Lord has bigger plans. So don't put your hope in some dream, put your hope in the Lord. I mean, this is what propelled Job. I'm gonna think about Job in the Old Testament. He loses his family, he loses his property, he loses his wealth, even his own wife turned against him. And at, as he, he's sick and he feels like he's about to die and he says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Confidence in God. Think about King David for a moment. King David was anointed king 15 years before he ever took the throne hiding in a cave, writing the Psalms that we read today. Never losing his hope and his confidence in the Lord. What propelled Joseph from a cave to the kingdom? It was confidence in the Lord that he was gonna be faithful. When we think about the apostle Paul in the New Testament, right, the apostle Paul, he's preaching the gospel. He gets put in chains, he gets put in prison. He converts everybody around him in the prison and is singing hymns. They're like, all right, well, let's beat him and let him go. He's He's converting everybody in the prison. So we better beat him. He's like, great, beat me. I'm gonna leave. My scars are gonna be my testimony and I'm gonna go plant churches. They're like, oh, well, we better not beat him. We better kill him. He's like, hey, bro, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I get to be with Jesus. You can't shake these men's confidence. Why? 
because their hope isn't that life will get better. Their hope is that God's in control no matter what happens in this life. See, this is the beauty of the gospel. This is what we get as Christians because guess what? All dreams come true in eternity with Jesus. Think about this. You wanna win the battle here on earth? Well, guess what? You'll win the battle or you will win the battle. You want peace in your life? Well, guess what? You'll get peace in your life here or you will get peace in your life in eternity. You wanna be healed of all your diseases and sickness and depression? Well, guess what? I hope it happens here. You'll be healed or you will be healed. You want your dreams to come true? Your dreams might come true or they might not, but guess what? One day, your dreams will come true. This is the promise of the New Testament that every promise in Christ is yes and amen in him. This is what we get as believers. This is what we get as Christ followers. This is the gospel. See, and I think some of us today, what we need to do is we gotta get our mind off of, man, I hope my life gets better. Okay, I hope it does too. But God doesn't promise that your life's gonna get better. See, that's what's so silly about the prosperity gospel is it says, come to Jesus, your life's gonna get better. What happened to Peter? He got crucified upside down. See, that's not the gospel. The gospel is you come to Jesus and you get Jesus. And he's better than anything we're walking through. That's the promise today. You know, the world right now, I've been glued to my phone. It's a scary place, right? We look at what's happening in Europe we look at all the rumors of war and all the different things that are going on. We're looking at the price we're playing, paying at the gas pump and how groceries and everything's just going up. And, and I'll just be real, it doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you, you fall on, the world is a scary place right now for all of us. And so you get on the news and you hear the news and they're like, well, here's the most true thing that's about to happen. What's true is about to happen is gas prices are gonna triple. You're not gonna be able to afford anything. That we're gonna go into nuclear war. And, and, and they're always telling you, here's what is most true about you and what the most true thing will happen. But can I just tell you something? Hey, Christian in the room, do you know what is most true about you? That no matter what happens, if the stock market crashes, if gas prices triple, if war continues to spread across Europe and into our own backyard, no matter what happens to you here on earth, Christian, you get eternity with Jesus. Nothing changes that. See, no matter what happens, all of our dreams become a reality in Jesus. You know, I'm a big dreamer. I love coming up with ideas. I'll wake up and I'll have three ideas before my cup of coffee is finished. One of my favorite things to dream about, when I get time off, you know what I think about? I think about traveling. I got all these travel dreams. And one of my dreams for my, for my kids is I'd love for them to be able to see every single national park before they turn 18. I would love that. Before they graduate and get out of the house, I'd love to take them to all of them. So when my, my, um, when, when my first child, Nora, when she was about six months old, we decided we were gonna go on what's called a, a camper van trip. Now I'll show you what a camper van is here because uh, this is my dream, all right? Uh, I know there's a river, so my dream is not to live in a van down by the river, okay? All right, saying that for those of you old enough to get it. Um, so 
but I love we, what we did is we, we got this camper van. Now, basically what a camper van is, is it's one of those creepy white vans that drive around your neighborhood. And if you see it, you call the police on them, okay? So the creepy white van basically was painted by someone with a drug problem, okay? And, and, and they rent these things out and the seats fold down in the back. You put a bed, there's a kitchen. And, and basically it's like a really small RV in the back of a creepy church van, okay? Sounds weird when you say it out loud. <laughs> Not good marketing. Uh, but, but we love doing this. So we got this van we started in Las Vegas and we drove all the way up to Zion in Utah and we went down and we did the Grand Canyon and we ended up going to San Diego and all the way up to LA. It was 10 days. It was incredible. We got to go to like three or four different national parks. One of the best trips ever in my entire life. So we go on another trip as our girl gets a little bit older and uh, it was awesome. We saw several more national parks, got to drive up Highway 1. Those of you who are from California, uh, it's incredible, but I'm glad you're here with us in the mountains, okay? Uh, But it was awesome. So then we have two children and I said, let's do it again, okay? And let's drive from Denver to Montana with two children, two adults in one bed for 10 days. Now, some of you all aren't thinking this is a very good idea. I really should have talked to you all. So we fly into Denver and we have some logistical challenges. So it takes, like I barely get our van in time and we get our van and the, you know, it's just a bunch of logistical nightmares. So we drive up to the Rockies and we get above the tree line. We have no idea if there's anything called altitude sickness or our girls are sick. Uh, we're not feeling well. And so we wake up the next morning like, all right, it's beautiful. Today's a new day. Let's put the travels behind us. All right, let's enjoy some time alone off the grid with our family. So we roll up to this place in Southern Wyoming here. And uh, it's called Fire Creek Canyon. And it is absolutely beautiful. There's this big river running down the middle of it. And uh, we're about 40 miles off grid at this point. It's far away from cell phone signal, no one really around. Um, and so we drive our van down and we get our van stuck. Now this is church van, not four wheel drive off-road van. <laughs> so our van is stuck. We have no cell phone signal. We're 40 miles away from the nearest town. Um, there is really no one around who can help us. Um, and so I start, you know, this van is sinking in the mud. And when I say the van is sinking in the mud, I mean, the wheels won't turn, not because it's stuck in the mud, but because there is literally mud up in the frame of the vehicle and the vehicle is now sitting on the mud. Yeah. So I get down, I'm like, all right, we gotta do something. So we have these big river rocks. So I start getting down, I'm pulling out of the sludge and I'm trying to put rocks up underneath it. So that way when the wheels turn, we can get out and get going. Well, we do that and I'm digging, I'm, it's hot, it's like 90 degrees and uh, I'm digging, I'm covered in mud and my precious, precious Nora Elise brings a big rock and throws it and hits me in the back of the head. <laughs> Face down in the mud. I don't know how I didn't, if you could lose your salvation, you would. Right there, yep. Name erased out of the book of life. (laughs) So I compose myself, I have self-control. I put on my running shoes, I run until I find somebody. Somebody's able to help pull us out. We get out, we're like, all right, tomorrow's a new day. All right, tomorrow's a new day, telling myself that. We basically, we drive off grid into another part of Wyoming. All of our water in our truck, the tank breaks. We have no water. We boil water for three days, terrible three days. So we finally like, we're going to Wyoming. We're going to Yellowstone. They got nice showers. It's a real nice place. Uh, Well, we had a new president take office right around that time and they closed all the showers for COVID, okay? So you talk about a public health threat. (laughs) 
public health threat, all right? We stunk, all right? Uh, and so it was just a terrible, terrible trip. So we, we basically, we saw some incredible things, but we got to the place where we were so angry at each other. We were so mad and we just kind of had our breaking point as a family. And we were like, forget the van. We're getting a hotel in Denver and we're flying home. <laughs> um, and, you know, at that breaking point, we're sitting right in front of the Grand Tetons. Beautiful scenery. And it's like, what's the bigger thing here? The Tetons or that I have 10 days no cell phone, no emails, off grid, no work to do, spending time with my girls. What's the bigger thing here? See, my dream was set on the Rockies, but the bigger thing wasn't being taken from me. And I just wonder right now, how many of you all would say, you need to dream about the bigger thing. You're stuck in the here and now. So what do we do when our dream seems to die? Well, it's simple, bottom line. You have to dream about the bigger thing. In other words, let me say it like this. You have to get your eyes on Jesus. Because if anybody endured the prisons and the pit of this life, it was Jesus. I mean, think about this for a moment. Jesus was hated by his family, the Jews. He was betrayed by his very own brother, Judas. He was wrongly accused. He was imprisoned by Pilate and he was thrown in a pit to die. But that pit today is now empty. And it ain't Egypt that he rules. It's the whole world. And because Jesus came up out of that pit, you have a promise today that no matter what pit, prison, or whatever you're put in, you have a promise that God will still be faithful. We just gotta get our eyes on it. Because this is the dream that in King Jesus, one day every prison door will swing wide and every pit will be filled and every path that was once filled with pain and affliction will be paved with gold and filled with joy and there will be a palace. But it ain't in Egypt, it's with Jesus. And I wonder how many of us today have to get our eyes on that reality that we have everything we could ever dream of with him in eternity. Because some of us today, we're struggling. And I just wanna plead with you. If you're in the prison, get your eyes on Jesus. If you're in the pit, get your eyes on Jesus. If you're walking through cancer, you're praying for a prodigal, you're battling, you're hurting, you're trying to heal, you're doing all the right things, you're here today in church, you're going to therapy. Get your eyes on Jesus today because there is a palace waiting for you, but it ain't in Egypt. It's with Jesus. Would you bow your head with me?
I wonder how many of you all today would say that you're in the middle of the pit of your life. I wonder how many of y'all would say you're in the middle of the prison of your life. I wonder how many of y'all today would say you're struggling and if you're honest, you just need to get your eyes on Jesus and you need someone to put a hand on your shoulder and pray for you to have strength in Christ in this moment. If that's you today, I wanna invite you to stand up because we just wanna pray for you today. We wanna put a hand on your shoulder and pray for you. Would anybody say that's me? You're in the pit right now and you need to get your eyes on Jesus. Anybody at all just stand up? Yeah, it's a lot of us. Anybody else just say, yeah. Oh, we're there. We're at church. We don't have to, we don't have to put on a front. You're just struggling. You just, you're just walking, you're in it right now. Anybody else just say, yeah, that's me. Here's what I want you to, yeah, here's people still standing. Nothing to be ashamed of. We've all had moments like that. Right now, what we're gonna do is I want, if you see somebody sitting around you, just to move and to put a hand on their shoulder, pray for them, pray that God would, God would give them the strength, give them peace and comfort. They would get their eyes on him in the midst of the prison. So right now, I wanna take a moment just to pray. Would we move and just put a hand on those who are standing up? Anybody else wanna stand as well and just say, yeah, that's me. Let's move and let's begin to pray. Let's just pray that God would bring them comfort, that God would bring them peace. Anybody else just say, yeah, that's me, I'm, I'm struggling. Make sure anybody who's up just has a hand on their shoulder. We got a gentleman over here. Put a hand on the shoulder. Anybody else, if you just say, hey, that's still me. I need some prayer today. Just go ahead and stand up. There's no shame here. This is the family of God. Hey, there's a lady in the back who needs some prayer. There's some ladies up in the, up in the, uh, the stadium seating. Could use a hand. Church, let's move. Let's be the church right now. This isn't where if you're a Christian, you stay seated. This is what we've been made to do. At Bearden, I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Maybe you just need to stand. I know the chairs might be a little bit loud when you get up, but just stand up. Put your hand on, somebody put a hand on their shoulder. I want to encourage you to maybe even pray out loud over them. There's still some people in the stadium seating who need some prayer. Maybe you pray out loud just as an encouragement to them. Father, we love you. And we are so thankful that you are a God who understands pain. Father, you sent your very own son to die for us, to bear the pain, to bear the burden that we deserve, Father. You understand pain. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would comfort the men and the women standing up as a signal of I'm hurting and I need help today. Would you comfort them, Lord? Would you bring them peace? Maybe there's somebody here who's going through it right now and they don't feel bold enough to stand up. I pray that you would 
just move them to get their eyes on you. Remind them of your goodness. Remind us of how great you are. And Father, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, even as the days to come might get dark and might get weary, Father, that we would be a church that would fix our eyes on you above anything else. We love you. And it is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Let's stand up and we're gonna sing about the faithfulness of Jesus. And if you're a believer today, if you're a Christian, this is what is most true about you, that God is faithful to us. Let's sing this. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.